0: Hello and welcome to the Girlfriend God podcast, a podcast in search of and in service to the divine feminine, bringing you an equal mix of academic research and emotional spiritual experience. If you enjoy the Girlfriend God, please share it, rate it, or leave a review. Let's Let's get get in the flow. So today, I'm really happy to welcome Dr. Rima Benario to the show. She's a dream weaver, soul coach, and wild heart healer with over 30 years on the path of conscious evolution. She's a respected thought leader, speaker, and teacher for women seeking to stand in their personal power while remaining open-hearted and connected, her coaching workshops Online courses and sacred travel journeys use the transcendent power of myth and archetype, ritual and ceremony and soul shadow work to help her students cut through their energetic clutter. Rima is also the founder of Bloom Fine Egyptian Oils and the Sisterhood of Anointing Priestesses, where she teaches the lost temple art of anointing to reclaim feminine power. She's also the co-founder of the Art of Quantum Living, which trains and certifies people in the 21-day shadow work practice called The Quantum Living Process. And finally, she is the author of The Seven Queendoms, A Soul Map for Embodying Sacred Feminine Sovereignty, which you can purchase on Amazon or wherever else you buy your books, or you can purchase them directly from her website. And you can find Rima online at rimabenario.com and with the hashtag Rima Benario on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Have I forgotten anything?
1: You've done a remarkable job. That was fabulous. Thank you.
0: And as always, I like to take a minute to really thank guests because since I started this podcast without fail, every single complete stranger I have reached out to and said, So I have this podcast and I don't know where it's going. It's all about divine feminine energy and God and the goddess and rather goddesses and deities. And do you want to come on the show? And people are like, yeah, sure. Sign me up for that. So um, I do have a few kind of leading questions and then we'll see where it goes. Uh, So the first question that I have, Rima, is I get that self-sovereignty essentially means, you know, self-governing, self-sufficient, autonomy, independence, and all of those things. Um, But how do you help your students? Like, There's an expression I love, which is you can't get there from there, right? Like you can't go from point A to point B and skip everything that's in between. So when women come to you or when they pick up this book and they are in a place of a lack of self-knowledge or in a place of hopelessness, you know, how do you get them from there to there?
1: Yeah, such a really great opening question. The first thing that we need to look at when we're talking about sovereignty is the way we are within our own body within our own sphere of influence. So very often people think the work starts with, how am I going to get everybody else to behave right and respect my sovereignty? And so their focus is really on the external world. Right. And, You know, spiritual principles tell us that the external world, in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways, is a reflection of our internal world. And what's really true, if you really want to break it down, is not that the external world is the reflection of the internal world, but that our perception of the external world is based on our internal world. So right. what we're seeing out there whether that's beauty and joy and love and grace or dysfunction and terror and trauma and you know disempowerment right. a lot of that comes from what we are feeling inside so the, the path to get there from here, when women come to me and they're really in a place of not feeling sovereign, not feeling that they have the capacity to make their own discernment in terms of the path that's in front of them, or even on a, with simple things on a day-to-day basis, they have to start the work of seeing, okay, how have I put myself in this box? How have I allowed this experience to unfold? Where is my point of power in all of this? Where am I a participant in my current life experience? And that's, that's shocking and difficult for people sometimes, because, you know, we're, if it's been very, very traumatic, we are rightly feeling in our, what's sometimes described as victim energy, because we've been a victim. (laughs) right and and unfortunately we've been in many ways trained to feel comfortable in that victim space we may not like it but on some level it's familiar and comfortable so the work of shifting out of that and beginning to find the places where our personal power exists is hard work in the beginning and it's challenging work and it's rewarding work because that's how we get out of the conundrum.
0: Right. I I know that you know when I work with women or, or women come to me for spiritual advice and they have, let's say, a traumatic experience in their distant past, like childhood trauma, even childhood sexual trauma. Yes, you were a victim in that you had no power in that situation. But when they want to know themselves, I say, okay, you know, yes, I see you and I acknowledge that you have this trauma in your past, but your part now is to look at how am I, how am I dragging around that label of victim in my adult life? And if it's somebody I could be brutally honest with, go, you know, to say, and how are you using that as an excuse for your own behavior?
1: Yeah. So I like to help people differentiate between what happened to us and how we identify ourselves. So we were victimized if we're in a situation like that. However, we don't have to say I am a victim. And, and it's, you know, it's a refinement there because we have to be honest about our past in order to heal. We have to feel and move through. And hopefully we have a good guide by our side when we're unpacking some of the worst things that happened. And there are some really, really terrible things that happened that never should have happened. And when we get into that place of feeling like, okay, I have some power to be the leader of my own life the queen of my own queendom to choose for myself, how am I going to use this for better? Even if it's only to make sure this tell my story so that somebody else gets helped and it doesn't happen to them.
0: Right. I know that. um, So many years ago, I I volunteered uh, for a rape rape crisis services uh, call line and victim advocate, and I was also a volunteer uh, at a domestic violence shelter, because both organizations were run by the same umbrella organization. And I know from my own training that that's why they started encouraging women to, to not say, you know, I'm an abuse victim, but I'm an abuse survivor, because that is a much more powerful word you know, it's it's yeah. a warrior like word. And words are powerful. They words are, are powerful. they
1: absolutely are. And and this and so it's interesting that we're we're coming into the conversation about power and open heartedness through this doorway because this is the balancing act I feel like we're in right now at this time in history, where we don't want to continue to mimic power patterns that keep creating traumatic experiences for people. Right. We want to find ways to lean into our power with a softness and an open heartedness. That's the hallmark of the divine feminine that allows us to stand absolutely in the core of our being and absolutely in the truth of our being from a place that doesn't cause greater harm to ourselves and greater harm to others. And that's this that's this work that we're in. And so even as we're, we're helping women make that transition from this very difficult place of feeling completely empowered and having been you know consciously trained sometimes by narcissists and abusers into that space to take that journey and begin moving into feeling their own power again and it doesn't happen by shaming them it doesn't happen by telling them to get over it it happens by having a very loving and nurturing place that continues to remind them of their deepest truth which is incorruptible right that that, that no matter what anybody has said and done to you your deepest essence, your deepest truth is incorruptible and purely of the divine. And and when we can start to reconnect or connect maybe for the first time consciously to that aspect of who we are, we start to see, oh, okay, that's who I am. So if that's who I am, why am I tolerating this? And why am I tolerating that? And why am I, you know, why am I, allowing myself to be on in this trajectory when really what I want to be is over here and how can I get help to shift the behaviors and the habits of attention, the habits right. of behaviors, so that I can start creating something new in my life.
0: Right. Um I was thinking about while you were speaking, I was thinking about, uh I, I listen to a lot of, I'm a big Marianne Williamson fan. And, you know, when she talks about, you know, my, my essential self cannot be harmed. You are not sick. Your body is sick, right? And uh, but that's a really hard place to get to.
1: Yeah, uh, when we're when we're triggered, when we when we've had emotional flooding, and our body is in a state of fear, our animal body responds in a way that pops our neocortex offline. Our the, the thinking. Uh, self-reflective part of us that makes us human, that makes us able to differentiate what Marianne's talking about there, that my essential nature can never be harmed. My body can be harmed. You know, my, my life experience can be full of sorrow and suffering. Um, But when we're not here, that's very difficult to hold when the body is in terror and feeling that um, a, a moment of danger true danger is present we're we're really just concerned with surviving that danger we're really not concerned with these sort of metaphysical right. perspectives and so the problem for us as modern humans is that our uh our alert system is overly sensitive because our biology hasn't caught up with the level of evolution that we have so so fundamentally for the most part As human beings, we're largely safe now, especially those of us that live in countries that are um, developed. And it's not perfect by any stretch. We have lots of unsafety in lots of places. But the kinds of safety, unsafety we have are um, generally lesser than they were in the years when we had to live out in the woods and what have you in the jungles. So we get a lot of alerts danger, 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 that push that response, that fear response into the body very quickly over things that are more psychological. Not that that's not also important, but it's not the physical instant moment of I'm about to fall over a cliff and the body is still having that same response. And so it's in those moments that we feel fused with the, with the danger, we feel fused with the fear and we can't, there's not space in that moment to be able to say, Oh yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. But my my essential self isn't being bothered here. You know, It's, it's like really, really hard. So we start to develop tools that help us to differentiate between a moment of discomfort that's offering us an opportunity for healing and growth and a moment of true danger and oppression and abuse where we need to get away and out of that immediately. And and so this work that I do provides, um, I generally tend to work with people who are not in that level of crisis right. uh, because that level of crisis requires a different kind of intervention and support.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I tend to work with women who are more in the existential forms of crisis that were just in the questioning that were in the place of what's, I don't know what's meaningful anymore. They're in transition in their lives between who they used to be and who they want to be, or they're finally just tired of not being able to get the traction they want in their life to have harmonious relationships, to have healthy physical experiences in their body to have healthy working relationships and that's really about becoming masters of using discomfort for healing and that's the that's a really really juicy place to play when you're when you're ready to get there
0: yes um in, in the beginning you mentioned something that I I have referred to as I've often said there is a there's a distorted comfort and familiar pain, right? And that's how we get trapped in those roles. I mean, it's just old messaging, right? That's all it is. Yeah. Um, And most of us, I mean, I can't speak for people in other parts of the world, but I know here in the United States, most of us have so much conditioning from the time we were born. It's really, really hard to, break away from that messaging, but it really is a sense of reprogramming. That when you do this kind of work, even though it's metaphysical work, which I believe shadow work is metaphysical work, right? And shadow work is hard. That's why a lot of people don't want to do it.
1: Right. Nobody Uh, wakes up in the morning and says, oh, let me see if I can, you know, dive into my deeply uncomfortable places and figure out how I can stretch a little bit. I mean, usually what happens is something occurs. Somebody says something or does something. We have a disappointment. We have an unmet expectation. We have an unmet. At unconscious need and then all of our shadow material gets triggered and that and then when we have enough wreckage in our life because our shadow has been out there you know playing right. its unconscious right. game that's right. when we decide okay i better i better figure this out because i'm going to end up alone and unhappy and bitter and i don't want that
0: right i don't right. want that so do you see I mean, you come in contact with a lot of people and a lot of different people from a lot of different places. On the podcast lately, you know, in the first season, we very often talked about that we sense this shift, right? Like women in their collective unconsciousness, let's say, are waking up to these things and saying, no more, right? And and we could even take situations like I don't want to bring politics into the show necessarily, but like let's talk about the pussy hat for a moment. Okay. Now yeah. the events that led to that were traumatic events for a lot of women. Yeah. But the power that came out of that was remarkable.
1: This is this is so important what you're saying here, because it, it, you know, there's a, a line from Shakespeare where he says, I'm going to paraphrase because I won't get it quite right, but nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And there's a, um, you know, uh, there are edges to that that aren't exactly, I don't necessarily agree with at the far extreme. You know, there is behavior that we can absolutely say, no, that behavior is off, but it's us deciding that that behavior is off. Uh, I think about. Um, there's a better example. It's a it's a parable that goes like this: a, a man, um, g- his son returned. He'd been gone a long time, and the the people of the village you know, celebrated. And he said, well, we'll see if this is good news. And then the next day, he went out and found a wild horse. And the son brought the wild horse back and the people of the village cheered and said, this is good news. And the man said, we'll see. And the next day, the son got on the horse and fell off and broke his leg. And the village said, oh, this is terrible news. And the man said, oh, well, we'll see. And the next day, the army came in and was conscripted scripting all the young men to go off to war, but he, his son couldn't go because his leg was broken. And the village said, this is good news. And the man said, we'll see. And, you know, the moral of the story is we we can't actually know right. always in the moment how some experience that we're, that is occurring that feels difficult could ultimately serve us. And that is the place where I believe sovereignty comes into play. In my life as a sovereign being, I choose to make it up that I get to have everything in my life serving my own unfolding. That doesn't mean it's all hearts and flowers. There's some really crappy stuff yeah. that happens. And I can choose after I've given myself time to really feel my feelings, to grieve, to to be in my sadness and to be in my anger. This is not a bypassing scenario. I can choose to use it for my own growth, grist for the mill. But, you you know, there's um, when things get shorthanded, like suck it up, you know, or it's all God, it's all good that's the that's the sort of metaphysical version of suck it up um right. we're 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 missing the point, which is that we're humans, and we are allowed, and it's important for us to have the experience to feel the feelings to be in the the hurt and the pain so that it can be moved out. We don't want to pitch a tent there. <laughs> And we don't want to avoid it because then it just builds and builds and builds. And eventually somebody accidentally steps on that tender spot. And now you're giving them all your unresolved pain that you've never given yourself a chance to deal with. And that's um, a misuse of uh, of the way that we're supposed to be in relationship with each other.
0: Right. Which kind of leads into the next question that just came to mind, which is so in. Self sovereignty for women is part of what you teach women how to have relationships with other women, because Absolutely. we can be sovereign yeah. as we want. But I think that we that as human beings, we are hardwired for relationships and connection and communication and intimacy with others.
1: Yeah, I mean if we lived alone as a hermit in a in a cave we wouldn't need any conversations about how to hold your own sovereignty <laughs> because there, right. there would be no challenge, right? right? And and for women in particular, we have to work on healing our relationship with the the feminine, right? So right. I mean, some of us had great moms. Yay. Some of us had non-existent moms. Some of us had really terrible moms and and our c- our relationship to the feminine as a principle is colored by the experience we had with the first female person we interacted with. Now we all have masculine and feminine energy in us. So our fathers can have a lot of feminine energy. Our mothers can have a lot of masculine energy, or it could be that our mothers hold all the feminine energy and our fathers held all the masculine energy. Regardless, we have grown up in a patriarchal society Right. So we're all affected by the less than respectful approach to feminine principles and feminine qualities and feminine values. So we all have some work to do to reconnect to this more feminine way of being. And the best way I know how to do that is in circle work with other women with a a skilled facilitator that helps to create a safe space inside that circle for us to explore what it means to actually be held in a nourishing, nurturing, loving environment that also values truth and accountability from a place of connection to our essential self. And this is how we get into that healing work is we, we take the risk of becoming vulnerable in a setting like that. And we have the opportunity then to presence our wounds and have a different outcome this time. So maybe when we were younger, we went to somebody for love and care and support and they, didn't validate our experience. They didn't under, offer us understanding. They didn't offer us care and kindness. They dismissed it, ignored it, or told us to suck it up, you know? So we get to have a different experience now where there's that place for us to be held. Yes, that's hard. I see that's hard. You make sense about that, that that's difficult. And to witness the other in their vulnerability. And then I also layer onto that tools that help us to not get stuck there. Okay, so now that we've we've expressed that, we're not denying that, we're in reality around that, what else do we want to create now going forward?
0: Right. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um. So in your, I'm gonna go back to my questions for just a minute, because it's something I wanted to make sure that we talked about where i haven't read your book (laughs) i will uh but the the to read list is very very long these days (laughs) um i know that in your book you talk about archetypes right the seven kingdoms are based on archetypal work so when did you first learn about i assume that you know about or or that some of your work is informed by Jungian archetypes. And when did you learn about that? And how does that inform your work? And then I'll go back to the sisterhood thing, because there's something else I want to say about that.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So I have a doctorate in transformational psychology. And part of my training was to look, of course, at Jungian principles. And so I've done a lot of uh, study and research in understanding the foundations of modern psychology and the the recognition i mean freud was the very first person to sort of recognize that hey some of what's going on for people might be in the way that they're thinking and and inside their own you know sort of mind and how that's affecting their view of the world their view of themselves and behavior can sometimes be um traced back to this this way of thinking and then jung helped us see uh that that there's a whole inner life going on there's this whole inner life going on. And then there's even unconscious inner life going on and subconscious inner life going on. And the beauty of archetypes is that they help us in a very short form way, identify patterns of thought, behavior, feeling so that we can use them to shift our inner experience. So if I say for you, to a group of people in a workshop, take up a physical position that mimics the warrior archetype. You're going to get very clear forms. Everybody knows what that is. They know how it feels. They know. And then if I say, take a position that mimics the great mother archetype, same thing. They know what that looks like, what that feels like. So when I talk to women about inhabiting their queendom and taking on the archetype of the queen, we immediately get a sense of, Oh, there's something regal here. There's something noble here. There's something empowered here. There's something related to service here. There's something related to um, adornment here and Mm -hmm. power. Right. And all of those things begin to give us a felt sense of what we're moving towards. And that's one of the reasons that I feel that the archetypal work is is truly powerful because it gives us a doorway into something we haven't yet found for ourselves.
0: Right. You don't happen to know Jean Schnoda-Bolin, do you? Because I'm a big fan. And she uh, I, I've arc. heard
1: that name, but I'm not familiar with her work.
0: She She's a Jungian analyst. Um, and the first book of hers that I read was called Crossing to Avalon. Which is very much about her own spiritual journey, and she kind of came in the spotlight when she she wrote a book called Goddesses and Goddess and Every Woman. Um, but she has a follow up book to that that I'm reading now called Goddess and Older Women.
1: Ah, oh, I'll have to check those out.
0: Yeah, um, like I said, I was just curious because that's very much the same lens that she uses are uh, these Jungian archetypes. So. One of the things I wanted to say about sisterhood, and then I have another question. Recently, I recorded another episode uh, with Dr. Carla Ionescu and Manette Chilson, and we were talking about how that messaging is starting to break down, right, that women are in competition with each other. And we looked at that through the lens of the, the very first thing that Minette said was, she, you know, she's very knowledgeable in goddess, uh, goddess culture and goddess history. And she talked about that the name of the podcast episode is going to be Healing the Sisterhood Wound with Eve and Lilith. And, uh, and we've talked about Eve in other episodes and we've talked about Lilith in other episodes. But we never what she said was, you know we really threw Eve under the bus. And I thought, oh, like I never thought about it that way, you know? Um, So this sense of competition among women and that one woman has to suffer so that another woman can uh, achieve, that is a big myth to break both for ourselves and let alone other women. I mean, do women come to you with that mindset that they, that they must step on other women in order to achieve what they want?
1: Well, of course, because the patriarchy has told us that that is the way. That, right. you know, pa- patriarchy at its core operates under the illusion of lack and it right. operates under the um, belief that the, you know, kill or be killed. And um, the sword is the primary tool. Now, there are absolutely times when we must use our sword, right? And this this um, over uh, positivity, the toxic positivity that sort of says, oh, you know, no, there's never any time where you should, you know, like, oh, it's all, you can smooth it all out. That's That's an extreme lens that's causing, you know, challenges on that end of the spectrum. Right. However- <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum that says everything needs to be handled with a sword, we are living in the downside of that right now on this planet. You cannot kill your way out of a pandemic. You cannot kill your way out of climate change. And and so feminine principles that value networking and cooperative collaborative solutions is the way forward. It is imperative. And as a people, this is coming. This time is coming. If you follow sort of the the great year cycles and astrological understandings of the 24,000 year procession of the equinox we're moving into a time of aquarius which is about cooperation but interestingly on the opposite side of the of the zodiac is leo which is sovereignty and individualistic in its approach and so the partnering of sovereignty and and community is the, is really the secret sauce going forward. And that is the feminine, that's the queen, that's the feminine principle. And so, okay. I, I went a little bit around that now, but coming, okay. coming back to, um, the piece around, um, Oh gosh. Can you remind me of the original moment there? It was, I really want to get back to it. I'm um, you it, asked it, about, the,
0: you know, the mindset of one woman. must Yes, yes, for yes, the yes. Okay. To
1: to yeah. So, so, so this lack that we're responding to that says, well, there's only a certain number of quality men. So we have to fight for the quality men, you know, the sort unless of biological. You're, unless,
0: like, unless you're yeah. lesbian. Like me, okay. We don't right, right.
1: It. Right. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> for quality partners. Yes. <laughs> and, and so. Um, there's even but-
0: there's even fewer of us to choose from.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's and so there's that, right? And then there's the the women who were entering the workforce and there were only going to be a certain number of women that were going to get to be allowed into the east, you know, c-suites and so who's you right. know, is which one are the, of us are they going to choose? You know, this 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 lack mentality forces us into the um Paradigm of competition as the only answer. And right. it's not the only answer. That is a patriarchal perspective that competition is the only answer. There are wonderful moments where we want to be, where we want competition as a way of sparring excellence and creating excellence. We need that. We must also have cooperation. We must also have deep connection. We must also have networking solutions where we work together to find common ground. And they're not they actually are polarities. They're not opposites. We need them to work together where sometimes we're striving for individual excellence. And then we bring that individual excellence into the community. And then sometimes we're preferencing the community and we ask that community information to go into the side of individual excellence. And we do it like a dance. And this is the kind of thinking, flexible thinking um, that we need to save ourselves going forward into the future. We need it in our relationships, we need it with ourselves, we need it in our workplaces, we need it in the global community. And and so this sister wound that says, you know, I have to be your adversary keeps us stuck in that old patriarchal model. And this new way that's coming forward which i really think is one of the benefits as you've said of watching some of the most outrageous patriarchal aspects on display since the particularly since 2016 it's been mm-hmm. amped up and part of our daily diet what that we've been able to say okay wait a minute we have to come together here and draw some lines right right and we've reunited again we've had another wave of you know, feminine sisterhood that's come through yeah. that said, not only do we need to come together, we need to come together across multiple lines. It's not just going to be, you know, the white soccer moms, you know, who are running the show. We need to bring together our sisters of color, our LGBTQ sisters and brothers. We, we need to have a kind of a community that allows us to talk about these things in a way that supports the upliftment of all.
0: Right. Interesting. You should say that because I just made a post. um, I believe I posted it to Instagram yesterday and it was essentially a call for uh, bringing some diversity to this podcast, because even though, yes, I see this spiritual shift and I see it on a global level and I kind of keep my pulse on you know, how the spiritual winds are blowing. Um, But I had to, you know, post this. I mean, it was an authentic post saying that, you know, it's a failing on my part, but I've only been doing this a little while, although I've been on my path a long time. I mean, the podcast, of course, puts me in touch with all kinds of people and access to all kinds of events. And, um, but my personal sisterhood network is severely lacking women of color. And, I I've, I've seen the women of color camp complain about that, right? Like all these big spiritual shifts, and including my own, you know, goddess worship and a return to a matrifocal, a, a matrifocal, matrilineal society. If you do a Google search for any of those things, the first ten results you're going to get are fucking, are white women.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why is that,
0: and how do well, we change that?
1: Yeah, that's a really a beautiful question. And I, I, for my own work, when I, every November, I do what's called Queen's Council, and I invite colleagues to come and teach and I make an effort to have at least a couple of women of color to be part of that program. Um you know, I'd like it to be more diverse like you as well. And, uh, you know, it's in there a diverse diversity can be there in terms of race. It can also be there in terms of sexuality. It can be there in terms of lived Mm -hmm. experience, age, all of that. Right. And one thing that I've become very humble about is that I cannot um, ever, ever really understand what it's like to be A woman of color i cannot ever ever really understand what it's like to be um a lesbian i mean that just wasn't my life experience so i don't know that fear that might have been there of you know my the very essence of how i see myself is rejected by the world you know and or that that my the very essence of how i present myself like something i can't even hide you know is is rejected. So there's all these things that I'm acutely aware of that I cannot speak to with any authority at all. So even when I'm teaching you know predominantly the people that come to me are women like me in my life experience and right. and I can help them in a, in a clear way because we we have similar similar ways of uh, issues, similar issues, right? And it's not that you have to silo. I'm not suggesting we silo each other. I'm just saying that when we are reaching out to bring other perspectives in, that's where it comes to our opportunity to listen and to be educated and to learn and to develop as much empathy as we can and the ability to root out within ourselves the parts of ourselves that are blind to our own biases. You know, so I gave the example earlier about this example of, you know, women fighting over men. And you're like, well, yes, or women. Yes. Yes. So that's a that's a bias of mine. I'm I'm generally going to start with that particular example when when talking about mating, you know? And these are things that are an essential part of owning our our responsibility as healthy beings, which is a part of what I think sovereignty is all about. And the thing that I, that I really want to say about sovereignty that kind of encapsulates the last two bits we've been talking about here is that when we're in our sovereignty, truly in our sovereignty, our sovereignty is not threatened by somebody else's sovereignty. Right. I, I thought we don't need someone to be put down around us, when we're, when we're not in our ego, when we're really in our sovereignty, essential self, we don't need to Lord it over people. And whether that's people who are different than us or people who are the same as us, people we're in relationship with. And so we, we are perfectly fine with sitting and listening to others who have a different perspective right. and being educated. And we're also willing when we're sovereign, we're willing to look at the unconscious bits that we don't even know are in there yet in order to become more fully the best person we can be. That's really what shadow work is, is inviting us into.
0: Yes. And I think, you know, not only uncovering those parts, but embracing them, right? Um, Because we do all have a shadow side, but without it, we're only half a person. You know what I mean? I've got to gather all the parts and make peace with them all.
1: Yeah. Welcome them home
0: which is really you know uh, that is really difficult work to do. Um so i think that many of i don't many of us many of the people that i know and probably the people that you know um in terms of working with women of color that we i mean we really had a huge wake up call as a result of the events of the past couple of years right and our awareness of them because What's interesting to me, and watch it affect the spiritual communities that I'm kind of, you know, have a foot in, um, and I don't know how it happened, but, like, we learn to educate ourselves about our own history, right? It's why we talk about history on this show a lot, because if you don't know your own history, how do you know that what you're practicing is authentic? We talk about authenticity, authenticity. Um, a lot and I you know I've I had complaints about that in the witchcraft community about like well how do you know that's the crystal that goes with that goddess like did you do some research or did someone just tell you that in a google search you know what I mean like where is your source information um but anyway the the work of knowing our own internal biases I think is crucial for a, a complete picture of that um of that shadow work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so. and what you're what you're speaking about there is a um it's a really again another one of these polarities, these tensions between tradition which has history connected to it and long roots and you know that's been passed down from generation to generation. We want to respect tradition and lineage and then Gnosticism or inner knowing and intuitive experience that comes from the present moment. Right? Like, right. yes, I know that my great grandmother and my grandmother and my mother all taught me to do it like this. And that's a lineage that I respect. However, in my evolution and my con- communion with the goddess and through my own meditation, I've been shown there's this new way I want to operate or this way i want to evolve this tradition and so we as a as someone who works in the spiritual world for me this has been an essential part of my own journey to uh before i started my doctoral studies i used to think the most important thing was just my own feeling nature and writing about my feelings and my truth and saying all my mm-hmm. stuff and you can't challenge that cuz it's my truth blah blah And that in some ways that felt really good because I grew up in a family where I didn't get to do that. Right. And I had to completely ignore what felt like my own reality in and agree with the reality that was being imposed upon me by the structures inside of my family. And that was damaging. So that was a healing experience for me to say, you know, this is my truth. This is what I am. Then I get into my doctoral studies and I've got a a thesis, you know, that you're wanting to put forward and you're being trained in a way of thinking, in a way of arguing, in a way of proving, in a way of presenting, where you're expected to go out and see what the best thinking and research and um, scientific uh, knowledge is on your topic. What have the giants that have come before you discovered about this issue that you're concerned about or interested in. And then you get to apply your internal thinking to the research and create something new. That's really how science leads us forward. And so I began to have a whole new respect for what real research is and for what it means to go look at scholarly articles and peer-reviewed articles and information that has actual evidence to it. And, and so it makes makes me laugh now when I hear people talk about, oh yeah, I did some, do your research. And that means, you know, a couple of Google clicks, you know, no, actually not. Right, and so, right. so so th- that's just confirming your own biases. So when we come down to things like that we're using in our spiritual world, whether that's crystals or whether that's uh, essential oils or whether that's, um, you know, even the, the things we choose to eat or our, our shadow work philosophies, we want to be sure as teachers and people on leaders on the path that we are blending the two, these two gifted spaces of, of a sort of Gnostic, um, arising wisdom from the inner self with this tradition, rich tradition and, and historical referencing and research. I mean, it's an essential way for us to not get too far off the path. If we only do, history will be stuck. And if we only do intuitive, you know, arising information, we're going to repeat damaging things.
0: Right. That's why. And so in the description of this podcast, it says, you know, bringing you an equal mix of academic research and emotional spiritual experience uh, because both are, are necessary or at least have been necessary for me to grow. Um I have a couple other questions, but before I get to those, i I want to I want to ask. And I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this question. So, in your process with the both in your own work, right, in your own life, um, and with the people that you work with, is there a component of a divine being that resides both? I talk about my relationship with goddess a lot but one of the things that i say is i believe that she is something outside of me but she's also something within me and to have and in terms of what we're talking about i believe that in order to have a relationship with her i have to have a relationship with myself and in order to have my relationship with myself I have to have a relationship with her, right? It's a, it's a feedback loop. It's a partnership. Yes. It's a co-creation. It's all of I this. Love it. I so love it. How does that fall into your spiritual view?
1: Well, this is exactly my perspective as well. This is exactly what I teach. And so what you're talking about here is understanding the divine that is both imminent within us and transcendent beyond us.
0: Right. And,
1: and so when you've had the opportunity to experience yourself as both imminent, incarnated, and transcendent, there's something bigger than what we can see here. There's some part of us that is bigger than the physicality, that is even bigger than our emotional content and our psychology. I call it my soul. That's, that's what I happen to think of it as. And I think of my soul as this intermediary between myself and the divine. Yes. You know, the 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 people that look, the truth of the matter is nobody knows what the heck we're doing here. Nobody really gets it. I mean, we tell ourselves we do we make up things because Mm. we need to in order to just like not go nuts over it. And the, the moments when we have that like deep fundamental awareness that Wow, nobody really knows what's going on here Our edgy moments where we can flip into psychosis, you know, and, 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 right. and have a, a psychic break. So. So we need to make up stuff to to like make it through whatever this is, it's important, though, to know we're making it up. So if there's a moment where the thing that's made up that you've been following stops working for you, great, let it go, move on, find something else right. that that will fit better for you where you are in today's moment. Right. And and you don't have to let go of all of it, you can take the parts you you like that still serve you and move move on to the next place. And so so this recognition that I I really cannot my little pea brain cannot grasp the divine in any real way, but I believe there's some part of myself, some older part of myself, some part of myself that yeah. gets to actually show up life after life after life. That's not, not dependent on this particular version of itself as Rima right. that does grasp that. And I and I can have a relationship with my soul and use that relationship to help guide me in partnership, like you said. So my personality gets to have a say um, and right. my soul gets to have a say. And my life has gotten exponentially better since I started partnering with my soul self. And really my... My, the way I make it up now is that I'm here to serve the goddess and whatever it is she desires. So, you know, my programs are her programs. My work is her work and I'm, uh, you know, I try to stay as unattached as possible because, she could pop up with an instruction to say, "Okay, you were doing that for a while, but now it's this, okay, right. so here we go, you know, and having the courage to to do that to live in that in that guided way and and also to give myself time to say, "Okay, I hear that, and I'm gonna sit with that for a little bit, right, and I'm gonna you know really discern is that for me because sometimes I pick up stuff that's for other people
0: <laughs> yeah. right, right."
1: So again, it's this sort of both and approach of, yeah, we're going to follow guidance, but we're going to take some time to actually check and make sure that guidance is fundamentally sound.
0: Right, because like if I'm not spiritually fit and I hear that voice in my head, I can assume that it's the voice of my goddess to justify all sorts of unbecoming behavior. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, we've seen that. And the truth of the matter is, We're interpreting through our conditioned self. We have to remember that we are always interpreting everything that happens, whether it's something the goddess says or something our sister says, through our conditioned self. so that helps us stay humble when we remember that that we we, we don't want to jump immediately. We you know sometimes we have that deep inner in, in, intrinsic knowing and it's very, very clear, you know, hooray for those moments. For me, it's it comes and I really have to sit with it for a little bit to really right. get to that place of, okay, this feels solid.
0: right. I you know I'm I often say that sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is nothing. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. I have this. In fact, it's usually,
0: ask for help, you know, look to the heavens and ask for help yeah. and do nothing.
1: I have until to, it, I don't know
0: becomes, I until it becomes clear.
1: I have this little thing that's usually sitting on the desk behind me. Um, I've had this since my early healing journey mm-hmm. from the Tao Te Ching. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving until the right action arises by itself? And that was such a lifesaver for me because in the early days, one of my condition strategies for survival was to just figure it out and do it. Like just be in action all the time. Just be trying to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it and smooth it, smooth it. You know, like I could not tolerate discomfort at any level. So I was a people pleaser to the nth degree. And this um, quote along with my time in twelve step work, helped me discover the ability and the capacity to sit with discomfort, to sit with not knowing, and to allow the right path to arise rather right. than to force force <laughs> it through action
0: right. That's why so the one of my favorite prayers is the serenity prayer, and that's why, right. I used to always, before I was so committed to being well spiritually, I used to interpret that prayer as force acceptance upon me and then I will feel serene. (laughs) Right. But, well,
1: yeah, I mean, get there from
0: there. Right. I right. I cannot hear. Because even somebody that does this kind of work and has been doing it a long time, I still have a lot of chatter up there on some days, right? And if I am not in communion with my soul, I feel that. And I know when it happens. And it's never because of something that's happening outside of me, ever, ever. It is all me, all the time. So when I'm out in the world and I see myself... Behaving in unbecoming ways, right? If I'm, even if I'm not doing it outwardly, when I go out in the world and I'm in the grocery store, and the voice in my head is saying things like, "Girl, I don't know who you let you leave the house like that," (laughs) but you know what I mean when I'm judging a lot, when I'm judging a lot. Like I have my own little red flags that tell me, "Okay, you need to sit because something is something is going on with you." And as you talked about earlier, you know, the trick is learning how to identify those things that so this is what I'm upset about, or this is what I'm worried about, and not pack my bags and move in there, right? Like, I've identified it, right? That, I mean, that's what therapists teach you how to do, right? Just observe it. Learn how to develop your own compassionate observer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I see this, that's what they teach you in meditation, right? The thought is like a train car and you're just watching it go by. That's interesting. Next, that's interesting. Next, that's a little disturbing and I might wanna look at that later. Next, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's gotta, yeah, it, it, but it is, it's really hard work to do. But I'm, I'm glad that that connection to the divine and being of service to the goddess I I consider that, I mean, this podcast was very much a calling. This was, I'm sure that you've had this experience. When I have an idea that I know to the core of my being did not come from me, right? It clearly came from a channel outside of myself. Even if it's also inside, I know it's not me. I know it's not my ego mind that said, I'm going to create this podcast and service to the to." the divine feminine and talk about goddesses and reach out to people all over the world and it wasn't like that it was uh because i think i was struggling with how do i there is nothing that she will not do to show me that she loves me what could i do To really demonstrate how much I love her.
1: That's beautiful. And
0: and this was the answer. This podcast was the answer.
1: Sometimes I call those dreams of the divine, you know, or soul assignments, right? And we've been entrusted with those dreams. And we've been given soul assignments, and we can choose to say yes to those or not. We can choose to play at that level or not. What I've found is that reciprocal relationship you're talking about there. When, I've, when I'm when i really committed to being in alignment with my soul and it, trusting those dreams of the divine, the the resources that I need show up for that. Right. And this is a key component of inhabiting our queen energy the queen only functions as well as she does because she's imminently well resourced and she is capable of receiving. She recognizes like the idea that she, the questioning of her worthiness to receive doesn't even enter the picture for her. Of course I must receive because this is how I take care of the realm. And, and so being willing to say yes to these kinds of callings require us to take those steps in trust and trusting that what we need will be provided and the path will be made clear.
0: Yes. And I have, and I'm sure you do as well, experience that has borne that out over and over and over and over again. Um yeah it's remarkable it's remarkable how that happens but it takes a while to get there there's a very big difference between belief in and reliance upon right and i had a friend who used to say i want to trust i want to trust my god as unfailingly as i trust the brakes in my car like when i roll up to a stop sign i don't think when should I press the brakes? Should I press them now? Are the brakes going to work? Is the other guys breaking? You know what I mean? Like, I just do it. And that's how I want that trust in the goddess to be. I have a couple other questions. If you have time, it's about 1157 here.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, good. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to ask you three questions that I asked all the guests on this show. If you've listened to an episode, you already know what they are. <laughs> Uh, so uh, let's talk about your book a little bit. Um, if you, if you had to describe your book in one sentence, what would it be?
1: Well, (laughs) the subtitle is it's a soul map for embodying sacred feminine sovereignty. So that's what I would say. Really it's part memoir because I, when I started to write the book, I was really just going to focus on the how-to part, just the seven queens and and you know being in relationship with those. And I very quickly realized I had to tell stories to give examples. And then right. I realized, oh crap, I'm going to have to tell my whole story. <laughs> you know? And and so the first part of the book is really about the journey that I went on and my the first spiritual awakening I had and 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 the work that went into making that. a a real day-to-day experience for me rather than just some state of ecstatic state that I had once upon a time and through that comes the discussion of shadow work and the reclamation of the feminine you know and the divine feminine and then understanding energy and energy bodies because that's a key piece of this work as well So really it's a journey that women go on and it's got a lot of elements to it that are interactive. There's a lot of beautiful artwork in it. It's a full color book. There's poetry. It's an experience that women can go on to have this journey to find and reclaim these parts of ourselves that haven't been um, in for most of us that haven't been celebrated.
0: And I like what you said about, uh, you know, when we bring to this work an air of authenticity, people want to work with us more. Right? I don't want to work with people who are coming at me from a place of superiority.
1: Well, like, we have to know that they've walked the walk the walk, you know. Exactly.
0: Um, like when somebody tells me they're a priestess, I'm like, a priestess of what? Like, how did you get that title? Did someone bestow it on you? Did you go through a particular training? Did you, you know what I mean? Like, tell me about that. What is your yeah. experience? that enables you to because i feel like the the word priestess has been tossed about a lot lately um as part of that spiritual sh- shift right and any spiritual shift it's separating the wheat from the chav right well we,
1: we, here's it's, the so thing like, about even even the example about the breaks like we have to keep our discernment in place because you know it could it's rare but it could fail Right. Or there's ice on the road and they don't work as we expect them to. And so so when we're in this arising, opening, just incredible renaissance that's happening now of Mm -hmm. Gnostic spirituality and inner uh, inner life awakening and the rejection in many ways of external institutionalized religion and things of that sort where we're wanting to have a more personal mystical relationship with the divine the, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater you know what right. is the lineage what are the traditions even gnosticism has a tradition you know and right. what are the tools that we use to help us discern between this, uh, the conditioned response or the egos, oh yeah, I can wear the title and put the pretty beads on and all the things and burn the, you know, whatever. And am I holding actually the clear energy of that priestess channel and what the priestess archetype actually means? And I, am I staying humble in my awareness that I'm learning, still learning on, on the path? I'm fond of saying, you know, every teacher needs a teacher and every coach needs a coach. I mean, you know, we should right. be being in that place of of continued unfolding, not because we feel we're broken and we need to be fixed by someone, but because um, we need sometimes external support in making sure that we're, we're we're staying awake to our own conditioning and our own blind spots and biases.
0: Right. And there's a, th- there's an aspect of humility, I think that's necessary. And humility is a concept that's often either overlooked entirely, um, or misunderstood. Right? A well, we, we have
1: it. to reclaim these words, you know, we have to reclaim yeah. words like humility and impurity and um, words that were used to create shame. And, yeah. and bring them back into recognition that, no, this is how we're holding ourselves accountable. This is how we're keeping ourselves safe. This is how we are being in discernment and creating clarity.
0: Uh, So one of the things, probably the last thing that I wanted to make sure I asked you about is if you could tell me a little bit about your essential oils, but particularly about the sisterhood of anointing priestesses. And you refer to uh, the lost temple art of anointing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I don't know very much about that.
1: Yeah, so that is a a beautiful thing that arrived in my life that I just out of the blue, I just did not expect it at all. Um, I went to Egypt on my first sacred pilgrimage. Mm. And this was one of those callings, you know, of feeling like my soul is calling me there. And I had the most amazing experiences. One day I'll write those stories. And Mm. one of the things that happened during my first trip there was I met uh, an amazing man named Gamal Abdul, who is a fifth generation alchemist and Reiki master and a Sufi master whose family goes back into the lineage of the wise men and the magi and he he and his family have been working with these oils um for for five generations and he introduced me to oils that align with the chakra system and and then a few others and i was enthralled and so i was buying my first set and trying to decide if i was going to get the small or the medium set because they're not inexpensive and he looked at me and he said you need to purchase the largest set you can because you will be sharing these oils with lots of people. And I just said, okay. (laughs) And I bought the medium set and went home and didn't think about it again. And at the time uh, I was in the process of launching the pilot program of what is my my main work now the queen's court this annual program where i it was called self sovereignty 101 back then and it was really all about this recognition of these parts of ourselves that we need to step into to be sovereign and they align loosely with the chakras so flash forward several months and the program has started and i realized oh i need to share these oils with the with the women and from that, it grew into something, just everything Gamal had seen in that moment that he looked at me. And I thought, oh, wow, he saw it. I didn't know. I had no clue. And right. what what I watched happen, what I knew was going to happen, because I began working with the oils myself very in a very disciplined way, was that this is a technology that works in the energy body in a, in a sort of homeopathic uh, process. So these oils help us balance out our energy body by working in in the chakra system. And each of these areas of sovereignty that I write about in the book are aligned with a, a chakra. So mental sovereignty is aligned with the third eye, for example. Spiritual sovereignty is aligned with the crown. Um, emotional sovereignty is in the heart chakra. And, and it gave me A way to support another layer of support for the women that I work with and for myself, first and foremost, to create harmony and balance inside my own body. So my energy teacher, Linda Cesara, says that when we get triggered, it's what's happening is there's too much energy in our body for us to handle. And so it has to come out and go somewhere. Or it shuts down and goes inward. If For people who who do that under pressure, they will collapse and go inward or or shrink. Others explode outward. And so some people just leave their body. I mean, there's all these different strategies we do to deal with having too much energy in the system. We can learn to create more grounding, more spaciousness in our system so we don't get to that tipping point as... Right often and these essential oils are a, are a critical part of my medicine box my medicine bag to help myself and my students develop more capacity to be in life in a, a place of greater ease so the sisterhood of anointing priestesses is really just a a facebook group collection of us women who are not just using the oils because these are a great tool, but because something has awakened in us as a remembrance or a memory of this as something we used to do in ancient times, right? Right. Like there's some kind of connection to some ancient history there that is a remembrance and we are remembering who we are at the at the deepest level and i feel like that's part of what the goddess is doing right now is she's helping us to connect to these ancient lineages and these ancient yeah and teachings so that we can bring them more onto the planet now we absolutely is this is the time they are needed and i've watched remarkable things happen for people when they begin using these technologies in you know on their own or in communion with other types of tools like shadow work and sister sisterhood circles
0: yes and i, I do believe that that inherent knowledge it's like we've been sleeper cells for some of this stuff right like this, this is inherent knowledge that we've always had and it does go back to ancient culture that's why we talk on the show a lot about ancient history as opposed to recent more modern history um and there was this really great example that carly gave in one of her podcast episodes she was talking about how and, and i suppose this is geographical thing right I, I don't think that everyone had this experience but when I was young and when she was young it was very it was a very big thing and it was a very big deal to become blood brothers or blood sisters with somebody right and for the people listening to the show that are younger right you would you would cut the palm of your hand with a knife And the other person would do the same and then you would either hold hands or shake hands or whatever. And then in, in, you know, in our teenage worldview, we were, you know, we were bound together for life. We were blood brothers and blood sisters. Now the interesting thing about, and I don't know if teenagers still do that today or not. uh, But the interesting thing about that is no one told us to do that, but something inside of us knew the importance of blood ritual which is a very very ancient practice right probably even more ancient than we know um and this you know wanting to create altars and ritual space and all of those that no, like nobody told me those things i wasn't taught any of these things i mean i have since learned more about these things and how to you know, do them in a, on a practical level and in an earthly realm, but that knowledge didn't come from me and it didn't come from anybody that taught me anything about my spiritual life. Right. Including that. Cause I was one of those teenagers that I wanted so badly to be a blood sister with somebody. Right. I, you know, I learned years later that really I had a crush on that girl, but you know what I mean? <laughs> but just, just the desire to say, Hey, yeah cut ourselves and mix our blood. Yeah, didn't teach us that.
1: I'm telling you, I totally this, this thing you're describing, there are so many of us that when we get in a circle for the first time, or we meet, uh, you know, I remember one time I was manning a, a table in the basement of a church, I went to New Thought Church, and I was starting a class and this woman walked in and something happened and we just looked at each other and I watched her kind of slowly making her way over and she came over and she said I don't know who you are what you're doing but whatever it is I need to be part of it and I mean we have these moments where we get reunited with with energies and people th- those energies are contained in people you know that that help us to remember who we are and it's so thrilling and exciting when you have those moments and it's like s- somehow you know i have to watch myself you know you're talking about getting a little judgy earlier where i, I start to feel okay. like oh everybody else is just a muggle you know because they they don't have these experiences of like feeling that magic, you know, that can happen when you get around people like that, that are kindred spirits and that are on the same soul journey. Uh, Literally, there's nothing more fun. And uh, you know, my poor daughter, just as an aside, she's just started college, she's turning 19. And we've, we've cursed her with this level of experience, right? right? Because Mm -hmm. now she's, she's like, Oh, my God, they just want to talk about TikTok and, you know, this and that. She's like, where, are, where are the serious people? <laughs>
0: right, right.
1: So she thought her whole life it would happen in college, you know, and it is, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when we find those soul connections and we get to be in those relationships and those relationships, they can last a long time or they can last a short time, but they're, they're speaking to something, as you've said, that's intrinsic that we know in our souls. And I do think that there are people that are here in this lifetime and they're just, they're just on a, they're on a rest lifetime, you know? Uh, and then there are those of us, maybe the vast majority are here on a rest lifetime. And there are those of us that are here on a, on a, on a soul mission lifetime. And I don't begrudge people that are here on a rest lifetime. You know, you go for it. I'm sure I'm going to get one soon. And, and right now for me, this lifetime is really essential that I show up and I do my work and I become available to help others on the path.
0: Yes. I, sometimes I meet people. And so I'm also a, a past life uh a past life regression hypnotist and I'm trained into different modalities in that and, and again doing that kind of work I see evidence that shore up these beliefs that I have uh, you know over and over and over again but occasionally I will meet someone uh, and my first thought speaking of judging my first thought is oh it's your first time here isn't it <laughs> you
1: know? yeah. you're a baby soul yeah. I'm an older soul yeah,
0: but, that's, that's, uh, but, a. But I do see that in, in past life work, right? Like one of the things that I have people do because I've kind of developed my own script over time is I always ask them if they can find somebody, if they're in a place where there are other people, because there aren't always other people in their past life experience, but if they are in a place with other people to, to look at people in the eye and to m- kind of mentally make note of people that look familiar to them. And inevitably, when they come back, they are able to identify who that person was in this life because they looked into their eyes and they recognize their own soul, right? Their soul connection with people. You know, we've turned this idea of twin flames and soulmates into this very romantic thing, but I don't believe it's like that at all. I think we have a lot of Soulmates, maybe we only have only one other twin flame. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know really the distinction between those two things, but it is the only thing that explains why some people we feel so deeply a connection to people we have just met, and other people come and go and we barely bat an eye. I mean, how else could you explain that other than you have some sort of history? Right. You have some sort of history with that person or you have a soul contract with that person. I'm a big believer in that, too. They're not always a good idea. But um, and past lives are another place that we look to to explain very modern day circumstances. Mm -hmm. right it's why people do that kind of work to like cure phobias right people who are afraid of water they go back and find out they died in a flood well no wonder you have this inherent fear of water even though you didn't have an experience in this life that would cause that it's very interesting soul work of all kinds and all shapes and all forms is very very interesting to me and if people doing that work can find the goddess along their path that's even better
1: yeah, I, it's a it's a really beautiful and yummy place to play. I think the the women that get attracted to the circles that I run very much at home in this conversation although some of them are new to it and it's it's really exciting when you get to really feel that sense of community coming online that sense of yes. somebody remembering, you know, becoming a member once again of of the, you know, the culture, the circle or the temple, you know, I talk a lot about feeling like my histories around times when we would be in temple together and to have the experience of being in temple once more. And, and that in, in today's modern times, I feel like the, the work, there's so much inner work that we're choosing to do, or that's the place where I'm playing so that when we get ready to do the outer work and really you can't escape the outer work because you're in relationship with people all the time, Um, but you're, you're, you're improving your mastery in how you're going to do that outer work by improving the mastery of how you are doing the inner work.
0: Right. So
1: we get to play in those places now. And anointing anointing is just one of those sort of really fun uh, tools that can help. It not only does it actually impact our current day experience, but it can help with the actual remembrance. Like people, yes. I, I import these oils now from Egypt and and sell them on my website. And they're ceremonial oils, very very high vibrational oils. They have, unlike other oils, they're very thick. They have not been cut so down and watered down or or blended with other kinds of alcohol or things like that. So so they 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 can stimulate some of that remembrance process
0: right right so I'm going to wrap things up here at the end of the show I ask every guest the same three questions before I do that is there anything else that you didn't get to say or talk about that you want to say or talk about
1: No, I just—it's been a real delightful conversation, and I've enjoyed it. Yes,
0: it has. It really has, and this is going to be a brilliant season premiere. I'm very excited. So, tell me a fun fact about yourself that people who know you would be surprised to learn.
1: I jumped out of a plane twice in one day.
0: That is yes that that is (laughs) surprising. Do you want to tell the story of that
1: yeah, so i um when I got uh, released i from my uh, starter marriage <laughs> um, uh-huh. I, <laughs> I was seeking to feel my power again. I was in I was in a very difficult relationship that mimicked my parents relationship. And I just was in a very low place and needed to feel my own power. And so I was leaning into things that scared me you know, and, uh, and so I had this idea of I want to skydive, I used to have this experience where I would close my eyes, and something would happen, and I would feel myself falling. And if I just went with it, I could literally just keep falling and falling and falling and falling. And, and here, and the wind going by, I thought, Oh, this is must be how it feels to skydive. So I, so after getting divorced, some, some months later, I booked myself a, a skydiving thing, with a group, but the weather was bad. We didn't get to jump. So the next week I went back, same thing. I didn't get to jump on the third week. I finally got to jump by this time. I was so prepared and so ready. It was a first jump of the day. And it was so amazing that I, and I'd paid, you know, a month ago. So I was like, well, can I go again? <laughs> <laughs> And so I just hung out there all day with all these kind of wild, crazy people and booked myself on the last jump of the day and jumped the second time. And, and it was incredibly liberating to feel like these were ways that I was feeling my core again, feeling my power again, that I could make these choices and own my power.
0: Well, and, and, and what a, uh, what an extreme example of just trust, right? Well, that was
1: the moment when the door opens and you're 13,000 feet up in the air, and the wind is rolling by, and I was strapped to the front of this guy, and I think everything in my body is going, "Don't do it!" (laughs) And I just said, "You know, if I just close my eyes, he's going to throw us out of the plane. I'm just going to surrender." And out we went, and uh, boy, I tell you, it was it was something else.
0: Okay, tell me your current favorite tv series or movie even if it's a guilty pleasure
1: Mm. oh gosh well um so i'm gonna can i say too we we just found manifest i don't know if you've ever seen that on netflix it's a it's a very
0: yes i and you were one of many people who has recommended that but i my wife and I tried to watch it when it first came out and the acting was so bad. I just couldn't get past it.
1: Well, it gets a little better. I mean, yeah, it's not top, top, top notch, but the concepts are so interesting because they are really um, teaching metaphysical spiritual concepts through this show in a way that is interesting. And there's like the the thriller aspect of it. And it's, um, you know, I'm, I, we, we're, we're really curious to see where it goes, you know, Mm -hmm. how it turns out. So we, we did all four seasons because we just, we just found it a month or two ago and just Mm -hmm. watched it all straight through. So I found that interesting mostly because I'm, 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 as I'm watching it, I'm waiting to see, are, are they going to be making fun of the sort of spiritual Mm -hmm. concepts here and call it woo woo, or is it going to go super religious or is it going to be scientific? And what I've Appreciated is there's a really nice blending, which is sort of my the space I like to hold between the need for spirituality and the need for science and discernment, and so the characters go on a really interesting journey with that. The other one that I'm really enjoying right now is Wednesday. They just put Wednesday up, which is from
0: we we haven't started that yet, but
1: oh, it's so much fun to watch uh, a young woman who is her most unique self you know, really feeling, um, she's growing. I like, always like to have shows with character arcs, but at the same time, she's unapologetic for who she is. And that is super fun. And, um, uh, yeah, so th- those are the things that I'm I'm watching right now. Maybe it's you. fun. It, it's fun. I mean, there there are other things. Like I'm I'm in the middle of um, the documentary series on Meghan and Harry, and that mm. also is incredibly important. Um, you know, the this this same always the things that interest me are are these tensions, right, between what what do individuals need and what does an institution need, and and how we get into, um, dysfunction because we ignore the needs, um, on, on, on either end of those spectrums and the courage that it takes for these two people to, to, you know, define themselves in a new way in the midst of everything it's inspiring.
0: Yeah. People are redefining themselves all over the place, right? And I'm glad more and more people are realizing that they are, in fact, spiritual beings having a human experience, not the other way around. Okay. And finally, what song would be the theme song to the soundtrack of your life?
1: Well, it's always going to be Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes yes that's perfect that is that's perfect what a great thing i'm sure it's the theme song of something right yeah, i don't maybe, know maybe but maybe it's a repertoire. Uh, i don't know
1: i adore that song i'll have
0: to go google that um yeah oh, those are all really fabulous answers well thank you again and i'm glad that you went with it right instead of me reading this, the scripted podcast questions that you've had to answer a thousand times over. Oh my over.
1: God. No. Can I just say how much fun this has been to not have to do that? In fact it's time for me to like change out those que- I should have realized, oh my God. Like halfway through the cycle, oh, let me send out some new questions. <laughs> this is a right. rings. <laughs>
0: well and I realized that I mean the book just came out last year, right?
1: Actually it came out in uh 2021. So yeah, March 21. Yeah,
0: today, yeah. Oh, that's right.
1: We're still in 2022. <laughs> yeah, so
0: anyway, I realized that most of the time you talk about your book and I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about your book, but I also didn't want to pretend that I've already read it when I haven't, right? Cuz we're all authentic here, right?
1: Okay. No race. It's fine.
0: And uh like I said, hopefully we'll have you on the show again. Yeah. All right, Rima, I'll be in touch. You have a fabulous day. And may the peace of the goddess be with you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, and to you, too.
0: All right, bye-bye. Thanks for watching or listening. If you want more of The Girlfriend God, you can find The Girlfriend God and The Girlfriend God podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. The Girlfriend God.